Uh, we're in Acts 13, and uh, I cut, cut a little short last week, but that's probably good because um, we'll finish out what we're going to do, uh, the part that I wanted to finish up, and then uh, pause because it kind of opens up to the, the next section in chapter 13. But we uh, last week kind of um, paused, you know, uh, transitioned from Peter really playing a prominent role in the church as being one of the the main disciples, you know, one of the main apostles after Jesus left. And uh, we kind of see the, the next, you know, as the baton is passed, um, not really passed from one apostle to the next, uh, but we see, you know, Jesus calling out Saul in Acts chapter 9, and then now it's transitioning to uh, the mission that he has for his life. And so we've kind of, again, now see like the next stage and transition as uh, <laughs> Saul definitely was not one of his uh, inner 12. Um, in fact, right, he persecuted uh, the believers, and uh, we saw that early on in the book of Acts. And uh, so last week specifically, though, we were able to kind of pause. And it's really, I guess it's good that we were able to kind of break it up, because sometimes when you, you know, uh, either go too fast or sometimes you go too slow, um, you might miss some, some things. And so really we were able to just kind of camp out and look at what the church at Antioch look like. And uh, we see that Paul and Barnabas, they went to Jerusalem, and, and we picked up where they actually were returning from Jerusalem. They were going back to Antioch. Uh, which is, um, you know, in southeastern Turkey. And uh, we see kind of who the makeup was of the leaders of the church. And it was a kind of a diverse group, uh, people from all different areas, uh, different backgrounds. Um, it seems to be kind of in a healthy state. The church was growing. Uh, and they were still seeking the Lord. You know, they were, they were fasting and praying, Lord, what do, what do you, uh, you know, what, what would you like us to do? And the Lord impressed upon them and through the Holy Spirit said, you know, I've called out Barnabas and Paul for this particular mission. And so um, that's where we're, we're, we're picking up today. We're going to start in uh, uh, chapter 13, uh, verse 4. <clears throat> uh, one of the things I wanted to kind of kind of think about, like you know, we've talked about this a couple times, you know, because how much, you know, how often do we travel? Um, usually, if we travel, you know, we have specific purposes in mind. Um, we don't usually just aimlessly go out. Although I don't know, has anyone ever done that? Like, we're just going to drive. Uh, I had friends that like had like parents who, um, uh, you know, either worked for Delta, so they were able to like just get buddy passes, and so someone would just go to the airport. And be like, what's available? You know, and I'm like, well, that's just bold. You know, I mean, um, you know, they would pack a bag and then they would be like, oh, I went to wherever this weekend. And so, um, you know, that's usually not a dynamic that a lot of us have, although probably a unique experience. But if we're going to travel somewhere, we usually have kind of a purpose in mind uh, of where we're going to go and what we're going to do. Um, but if you could kind of stop and think, all right, so next week, you know, you're told that you have off. Okay, maybe you're teacher and you have off. But all right, you told you have off and you're going to go on a vacation. So if you kind of immediately thought, I'm going to go on a vacation, like think about where that would be. Okay. We'll say a week vacation. In my opinion, right. or somebody paying? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, all expenses paid. All, all expenses paid. Okay. So um, <laughs> probably, probably changes the where you're going. All right. So everybody kind of have in mind somewhere where they're going to go. Okay. All right. Now, how many of you chose a place that you've already been? Okay. All right. So some of you chose a place you've already been. And then how many chose a place that you've never been to? Okay. So, um, uh, yeah, so some of us, 
why did you choose, if somebody, you don't have to say where you're going, why, if somebody who chose a place that you've never been to, why did you choose a place that you've never been to? <laughs> Anybody? Just because you've never been there? You ever been to Baltimore? Sure. <laughs> you can take a vacation to Baltimore? I don't know why I chose Baltimore. Someone mentioned that the other day to me. So, uh, so but you've never been there, but what, what makes you want to go there? It's a <laughs> So it sounds relaxing, adventurous, fun. I don't know what's uh, what's what's picturing in your mind. Yeah, just, an just an island. Okay, all right. So there's one of those out Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she might have been there. So okay, all right. So uh, you've never been there. All right, that's probably a lot, you know. And for some reason, there's a draw, uh, whether it is relaxing or some sort of in, you know paradise, you know, vacation kind of mode, or it could be adventurous, right? Something you've never explored or wanted to, where, wanted to go to. Uh, how many of those, if you chose a place that you've been to, why did you choose the place that you've been to to go there again? So you liked it so much you wanted to go back. Okay. What's that? Oh, to add to it, too. Okay. So you knew what you were getting a little bit? Okay. Um, anyone else? Similar? Anything to add to that? Yeah? Okay. So... Um, we're going we're gonna to look and see kind of like the first step in the place that, that they go is uh, somewhere that they've already, already been to. Um, but that's really like the first step, maybe it's kind of Anthony, like you know, the first step of like somewhere that they've been, but they're going to add to where they're going to go and then have, have the Lord direct them uh, beyond that. And so what we see in verse 4, um, when we read, I'll read that, that paragraph verses, uh, through verse 12. And uh, we'll camp out here for, for most of the time. So it says, So uh, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul, and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him, and said, You, son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Okay, so back in verse 4, who sent them out? Was that the Holy Spirit? Yeah, and last week we, we saw that, um, that uh, as um, the church was kind of fasting and praying, uh, that um, these men were commissioned. And who were they commissioned by? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit right? So they were called for a particular mission. So they were commissioned by the Holy Spirit. They were called out by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and who was involved in the process, though? That it wasn't just the Holy Spirit alone telling them, you know, through a voice or through some vision, but it, he worked through and it spoke through who? 
or confirmed it through who? What's that? Yeah, the local church. So we have we have kind of that that you know togetherness of sending these men out. But really, it's the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, meaning the work the the mission of the Holy Spirit. And it says that they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. So Luke recognizes and understands um, whose mission this is. It wasn't Paul and Barnabas saying, "You know what? I feel like we're just kind of stagnant here. Or I feel like we need to go out and do something." Or wasn't that trip to Jerusalem amazing? Let's go out and you know do something else. Uh, they really kind of you know uh, asked the Lord, and the Lord kind of said, "This is this is where I want you to go." And so they feel like this is you know really God's journey, and that they're being kind of moved uh, by God um, to go on this, uh, on this mission. Uh, it says uh, they first went to Seleucia. And so Antioch is a little bit inland. Uh, it's close to the coast. Uh, but to go to the port, that would be uh, not, you know, it would be nearby. It's about 16 miles to the west of Antioch on the coast of Syria is uh, Seleucia. And so they went down there and uh, would have sailed from there and they sailed to an island. Maybe. I don't know if this is the island you were thinking of, but they went to an island. So, <coughs> where did they go to? Okay, so they went to Cyprus. Now, why do you think they went to Cyprus? We've heard of Cyprus there. It was an island. It could have just been that. I don't know. Where do we want to go? Let's go to an island. Um, Okay, so, so, so far, if, if we think it kind of geographically, like where um, the gospel has spread, you know, it went from uh, Jerusalem and kind of spread out into southern Israel, and then moved up kind of northern Israel, and then we see it move up into Antioch, a little bit further north, and um, so far they're not looking to go east, which is... Uh, you know, I guess it depends on how, how far east, but kind of like Persia and Arabia and that, that area. They're not looking to go through northern Africa, although we start to see, remember, some of the leaders that were in Antioch were from northern Africa. So it seems like the gospel had spread to there. We'll later find out and from other places uh, kind of hear the fact that the gospel had spread to Rome, that maybe some of the through some that were persecuted uh, spread out and went to Rome, and so some things were starting there. So it seems like there's an area that kind of was, has been not necessarily, uh, I wouldn't say untouched, but we already know that some had come from Cyprus to plant a church in Antioch, or at least that's where some of the people were from, not necessarily that there's a church in Cyprus. Um, but we really don't know exa- exactly you know, who's there or what's there as far as a church. We don't see anything, signs, especially what we're going to see, a little bit of a church being planted there. But they go to Cyprus. And why have we heard Cyprus? We did, I said one of the reasons, was one of the people that had come, in, or some of the people that come and planted the church in Antioch, or at least shared the gospel in Antioch, were from Cyprus. But what else do we know? Who else is from Cyprus? Barnabas is from Cyprus. Yeah, it was mentioned in Acts chapter 4 that Barnabas, a man from Cyprus, sold a piece of land. And that's kind of how we were first introduced um, to who Barnabas is. And uh, also that um, it's likely that Barnabas might have known some of the people that were from Cyprus. But anyway, they move first through to Cyprus, and it would have been a good stopping point, especially, you know, where are we going to head to? Um, whether they geographically have in, in mind, we don't know necessarily. Like, we're going to go to this part of Turkey. And, uh, what does it say? Is there a marker around? There's not a marker. 
looks like they packed up for the summer. Um, so I'll put hand pictures. So, um, so uh, if you kind of move move up instead of going east, kind of to Persia, and go up towards you know the more Hellenized areas of uh, the Roman Empire. When I say Hellenized, what does that mean? You guys remember what that means? Yeah, so Greek, meaning that they would have spoken Greek and they would have been able to uh, get around a little bit more. Um, Paul is from Tarsus, which would have been north of Antioch um, and kind of getting a little bit further into Turkey, but still on that southeastern side of Turkey. Um, and so that is, seems to be kind of where their, their trajectory is going, to kind of go into that area. Probably not venturing too far from, you know, the area where, tar, uh, where Paul was from, um, but starting to kind of make inroads into these areas where so far we don't, we don't have any inkling or understanding of people who have gone there to plant churches. So far, you know, the, the people that we've seen have been kind of all around the Mediterranean, um, a little bit like in northern Africa, some from Cyprus and some kind of still in, in this area just north of, of uh, Israel. Um, and that they want to make, start making some inroads. So they, they go to Cyprus, and it's a good stopping point because Barnabas is there. Um, and it would just be like if you are, I don't know, has anyone ever taken a trip across the country? Um, so I remember when I, when I, uh, I had a job out of college and I traveled, um, and so my job was to kind of hit these territories. I remember one of my regions, uh, the second year I had, was from Memphis, Tennessee to California. So it was a pretty wide region. <laughs> and so when I, when I made my way west and made my way to California, um, then I was done and I made my way back and I had set up a meeting. It was basically a breakfast, lunch, and dinner with uh, you know, different people along the way. So I went and had breakfast with one guy and then I drove and had lunch with another person. Then I drove and had dinner and stayed the night and then I went and I kind of ping-ponged around from people that were in my territory uh, you know, with a place to stay and people to kind of meet up with and catch up with as I made my way back. And so some, you know, you might, if you're going to travel across the country, you might be like, oh, I know somebody who's here. And you use that as like a stopping point um, in order to continue on your journey. And I think, one, this was part of a destination. We'll see that. But it's also uh, a stepping stone for where they're going to go. So it's, you know, off the coast of, you know, not too far from Antioch, but still far away, and it would be uh, a major place that they could then springboard off of into other places. Strategically, <clears throat> Cyprus would have been a great place to plant a church or to at least have some, some solid believers there um, for them to kind of be able to then continue to do whatever God has you know, called them out to do. And again, this is still early on in, in you know, how things are formulating. You know, they don't have a clear idea. All they know is that they are to go. Uh, historically, Cyprus, <clears throat> not a huge island. It's about 140 miles long. It's kind of interesting. It's, it looks like an island, but it's got this kind of like wingtip up at the, the top. But it's about 100 miles long and about 60 miles wide. So um, not a very big island, but still populated enough. But it was strategic for most of the early empires. It was captured by the Assyrians. Um, it was uh, captured by Alexander the Great. It was captured by the Romans. And everywhere, it was, would have been a place to kind of have a, uh, um, a you know, fortified area in order to, again, launch into different places in the Mediterranean um, in order to uh, you know, take over or conquer other places. 
So it says that they arrived at Salamis, and that's at the southeast corner of Cyprus, so closest to um, Seleucia as they would have gone straight over, uh, ported at Salamis, and then made their journey from there. Um, Okay, where did they first go? So in verse 5, they went to Salamis, and it says that they went and proclaimed the word of God. I mean, just imagine... Them getting off the boat, again, this wouldn't have been a place that they had never been to. Um, Barnabas had been there. Likely Paul had been there, especially uh, it would have, could have easily been a place to stop and then go up to Tarsus um, to stop there, although there might have been some more direct routes directly bypassing that. But they likely both had been there, but Barnabas certainly had been there because he's from there. Uh, so where do they go? They get off and, you know, they go first to the synagogue. That's going to be a, kind of an important pattern that we're going to see is that they're, they're typically when they go to a place, so I'll probably ask this question again, where do they first go? They're going to go to the synagogue. Now, why would they go to the synagogue? What's that? Okay, so that's what they went and did to proclaim the word of God. Um, you know, if you think, like, if, if you're like, okay, we're going to go... Um, Either on a mission trip or, you know, I know a lot of times when, uh, you know, certain organizations might have had a, like, summer missions. Anybody, had anybody ever been involved in, like, a, you go to the beach for, like, a week, you know, with, like, a summer missions program? And so sometimes there's, like, a little beginning of, like, training, and this is kind of what you're doing, and then they kind of just send you off. Now, like, go. And uh, you think, like, where am I going to go? Like, where would you go if you were like, all right, I want you to go share the gospel with people? Who would you go to, and why would you go there? You would go to the synagogue. Okay, you're like, I am going to follow Paul's example, and I would go to the synagogue. Good luck with that. Um, <laughs> so, that would be... That, what's that? Okay, so similar season of life. Okay, so that, that would be great. Why would you go to people with sim- similar season of life? Okay. I see you have kids. You have two children. I actually have one. This is hypothetical. We're just speaking, you know, if you had two kids. So, Um, okay, yeah. So that would be perfect, right? You would go to, you know, and and, uh, I remember, you know, when uh, when I was in seminary, we would have the same thing. We would set up kind of a table uh, at a college campus, and you kind of, you know, it was a commuter college, and you kind of look around. So you've got all different people, mostly people that are college age. And you think, like, you know, who am I going to go talk to? And so you probably would go to people that you would readily identify with, just like Sarah was saying, you know, people that you could strike up a conversation with, you know, unless you're just that person who is, you know, could talk to anybody about anything. You, know, you probably want to go somewhere that you could start having a connection with, and then, you know, Make that, you know, make that talk there. So why would Paul go to the synagogue? Yeah, so he was a Jew, right? You know, he raised Jew. He was like super Jew, if we're going to think about that, because he, was, he would later call himself a Pharisee. I don't know if that's the right term. <laughs> he was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was a leader in the church. Like, he knew the scriptures. Like, he would argue with people. He's already had these conversations. Like, he's battled people back in Jerusalem, uh, for better or for worse. So maybe, you know, several years later, he's, uh, you know, refined the way, you know, he goes up, goes up to people and kind of talks to them. We'll kind of see that. He, but... Some things are still the same. Um, we'll talk about why. But 
uh, when he goes to there, he goes to the synagogue because he would automatically kind of have a hearing. Now, where did Jesus go when he often went, you know? Now, one was because Jesus was sent to the Jews. And one thing we know about Paul's, you know, commission was that when, you know, he was first saved, that, um, you know, God kind of, you know, spoke to him and said that you are going to go to the Gentiles and you're going to go to suffer for my name's sake. And even though he's going to areas that are predominantly Gentile, he first goes to the synagogues and he would readily be accepted there. Um, You know, they don't know why he's there or kind of what his mission. He's just kind of showing up, but he's Jewish. He would have been able to blend in well. He might even, you know, say, because uh, he was taught, we'll later find out in Acts, that he was taught under Gamaliel, who was highly respected, and we heard Gamaliel, um, one of the leaders of the, the Sanhedrin, um, that he might have been able to have an in just through some of that. So he goes there to preach the gospel. Now, we'll find out more details about what that looks like in other places, um, but so far we don't see anything as far as how people are responding um, in, you know, when he goes there. But we know that that is his first place that he goes, and we'll see that as a pattern that no matter where he goes, because um, he's going to kind of his target audience uh, first. Another reason is practically is if he went to the Gentiles first, the Jews, you know, again, these are all going to be places where they would know about him. Like he, he would, they, people would find out about who he was. He's from not from around there, and he's kind of preaching the gospel and uh, getting people to kind of change what they believe, which is pretty big at that time. And so, um, practically, if he went to the Gentiles first, the Jews wouldn't give him a hearing because they're like, "What are you going to the Gentiles for? You being a Jew." So, practically speaking, him also going to the Jews. Uh, would be not only a good place to go to share the gospel, but then when he went, goes to the Gentiles later, um, that the Gentiles aren't necessarily offended by him you know, going to the Jews first. Um, but again, we don't know exactly what happens here, so nothing major, uh, at least that Luke notes. But what does happen, we see, well, before we get to what happens, it says that he has a companion along with him. Who does, who's it say that is there to assist them? The end of verse 5. So John, yeah. So it says John, and we know this is uh, John Mark. We're going to later find out uh, a little bit more about him um, and kind of what what ends up uh, happening to him as well. So it says, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos. So again, we're at the south, south east corner. So Antioch's here. They would have sailed to Cyprus, and then they would have made their way to the other side of the island, um, and says that they made their way as far as Paphos, that they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. And so this is kind of, a, kind of an interesting you know, character that we meet. A Jewish false prophet and magician. Now, when you kind of, and then his name is Bar Jesus, uh, to kind of you know, top it all off, uh, which would have been son of Jesus, but not Jesus uh, Christ, it would have been just another common name. Um, so, what do we know about, you know, magicians? This is the second magician that we've actually run into in uh, the book of Acts. Um, the Roman historian Pliny the Elder, uh, he wrote 
kind of about that time and in this area, he says, There existed different groups of magicians from the time of Moses, such as Jonas and Lotape, of whom the Jews had spoken of. And in fact, many thousands yearly follow after Zoroastrian ways, especially during recent times, on the island of Cyprus. So this uh, uh, Roman politician, uh, who has also kind of recorded a lot of history um, in, of the Roman Empire, of uh, the early Roman Empire, um, kind of spoke about, you know, what was happening on the island of Cyprus, and he specifically mentions that there were these Jewish magicians that happened to be there that follow Zoroastrianism, uh, which would have been an Eastern um, kind of religion. Sometimes the, the Magi uh, are associated with Zoroastrianism as well. Um, but you have this kind of eclectic blend of religions that you see occurring on Cyprus, which means... That the further they're getting away from Jerusalem and the further they're getting away from Israel, you start to kind of see like in anything goes religious uh, policy, which would have been okay under uh, you know Roman rule. Them being um, uh, was it uh, you know pagans have multiple multiple gods, um, and so we kind of start seeing this blending of different religions at this time. So this guy was Jewish. But he would have been a magician, and this Pliny the Elder had said that there was kind of this blend of, of people. Um, historically, there was an early bowl uh, in a um, sunken ship that was found that was dated um, around the first century A.D. And on the bowl was descri- inscribed um, to Christ, or by Christ, the magician. So there was a guy, there was this bowl that has an inscription, by Christ, meaning Jesus Christ, the magician. And so People attribute, archaeologists attribute this bowl that's dated around uh, shortly after the time of Christ um, that people would have known about Jesus, that he had healing powers, uh, that he was able to do great things, and that some, by invoking his name, and and this bowl would have likely been attributed to making things that would have been, uh, you know, with things that they would have done. that it's through Christ that he, he was trying to get his powers. Uh, so it's kind of interesting. There was a, actually a, a movie that was, uh, came out a few weeks ago um, that I went and saw that was kind of talking about the dating of different uh, texts. Um, it was kind of an interesting movie about how reliable Scripture is, and they went and looked at all the different transcripts. And the, one, of the archeolo- one of the guys mentioned this bowl, so it was really interesting. They had a picture of it. Uh, what that looked like, but it was just that the fact that Jesus Christ was a historical figure, um, and that even people from outside, you know, would have known about who Jesus was. Uh, an Egyptologist um, who was associated with this find because it was, uh, you know, off the coast of of Egypt says it should be remembered that in Alexandria, uh, so northern Egypt, paganism. Judaism and Christianity uh, never evolved in isolation. All of these forms of religion evolved magical practices that seduced both the humble members of the population and the most well-off classes. So I kind of share all these things is that to find a Jewish false prophet who's a magician whose name is Bar-Jesus would have been kind of typical in Cyprus at this time. And so they counter this man. And it says that he was with the proconsul, uh, verse uh, 7, Sergius Paulus. Um, Sergius Paulus, so being a proconsul means that he was a Roman-appointed leader 
over the province of Cyprus. So he would have been, you know, in an official capacity as a Roman ruler. Um, and so what do we know about the Sergius Paulus? Uh, there is a monument that was found um, in or near Paphos, so this is where they're at, in 1877 that uh, has an inscription, Apollonius to his father consecrated this enclosure and monument according to his family's wishes, having filled the offices of clerk of the market, prefect, town clerk, high priest, and having been in charge as manager of the records office. It was erected on the 25th of the month in the 13th year of the reign of Claudius, and he also altered the Senate by means of assessors during the time of the proconsul Paulus. So that was uh, dated, uh, that time, that year of, of Claudius was 54 AD. Paul arrived in 47 AD, and so uh, for this man to, you know, again, have uh, been in this place to be confirmed by Luke. And again, I kind of share some of this because some would say that Luke, you know, as a historian, uh, gets some facts wrong. Uh, but all throughout Acts, you can see um, that there are places that uh, support, you know, outside of just Scripture, um, that the people that he mentions actually existed, uh, the, the, you know, the routes that they take, uh, would have been routes that would have been proper to take um, on a particular journey. And we'll kind of go through some of that. Um, Pliny the Elder, this, the man that we kind of, I, I mentioned before, this Roman historian, um, says that uh, Paulus was a Roman naval commander who lived from 23 to 79 AD, was a statesman, naturalist, and a historian. And so uh, this man was, again, well-known, well-to-do, um, and it's him, who's this Roman leader, that actually reaches out, and Luke calls him a man of intelligence, uh, who reaches out and summons Barnabas and Saul to hear them speak. You know, so they've made their way all the way across the island, made a kind of a name for himself, and by the time they get to Paphos, where um, Sergius Paulus is, Sergius Paulus says, you know what, uh, I'd like to hear what you have to say. Um, and then finally, you know, there's a, which is kind of will lead us to where we're going to go, go next, is that there's a large stone that was, has an inscription, Pauli Sergi, which was in a, in a Turkish museum that was found in the next region that we're going to see Paul and Barnabas go to. Some think that uh, the reason that Paul and Barnabas go to the next places that they're going to is possibly uh, because Sergius Paulus says, you know what, I want you to go there and I want you to share the gospel um, with people that I know. Uh, but in any case, not necessarily sure about that, but this man existed. He owned a large estate in, uh, in, in Turkey that, again, the next places that they're going to go see, uh, which would also make sense. You know, if you go there, you have a place to stay. Um, and uh, we can see, you know, them kind of following the ro- roots of places that uh, are familiar to them or people that they know that they can uh, have support from. So the magician, his name was Elymas, which is an Arab word for magician. Again, you kind of, again, see all of like this mixture of different religions uh, that he is, he's got an, an Arabic name attached to him, um, which, you know, furthers uh, kind of this, again, mixed religion. It says that he opposed them, asking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Now, why do you think he would do that? What do you think his motive was? What's that? You won't need him anymore. anymore, Okay. Yeah. So this magician, you know, being a Jewish false prophet, his, uh, you know, and him being, um, you know, 
I guess, befriended or at least uh, in a place of position would also have been a place of influence and power. And so he would have, you know, likely known about Jesus and any talk about Jesus would have meant, you know, an end to uh, him as like, a magician who would have had the ear of this proconsul. What was the last magician that we ran into uh, in Acts? It was in Acts chapter 8. Remember his name? What's that? His name was Simon. Okay? And he was in, you remember where he was at? It was where Philip went to. You remember the first place Philip went to? Yeah, Philip went to Samaria, shared the gospel, the people responded, and it says that there was a magician there who also believed. Now, Peter and John and, uh, you know, Peter and some of the apostles were sent down there to kind of, fo- you know, follow up and see what happened. And what did Simon try to do? Remember, Peter, like, kind of uh, um, says that, the, that, you know, Peter uh, prayed for them and that the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And that they were speaking in tongues. And what did Simon try to do? He tried to buy the Holy Spirit, right? You know, again, which, which, if you think about kind of, you know, his maybe background and worldview is that, oh, you know, you can kind of like pick and choose what works best. You know, I could be Jewish, but I could take some of these elements here and I can kind of adopt them to my beliefs and kind of form, you know, this picture and a profession about, you know, what, he, what you can do. And for a magician at that time, you just would have really wanted to invoke anything that would have, you know, gained the popularity uh, for, you know, either your profession, maybe in, his, in this guy, uh, Elymas, um, uh, the ear of the proconsul is a, a position of influence. It's not unlike like what a lot of people do, especially, you know, when you talk to them. And the further you talk to people about what they believe, you start seeing that most people kind of, don't really have a clear picture of what they believe. They kind of like adopt certain views and kind of attach them as they've grown up and things that they've been influenced by, you know, people who, uh, you know, I don't know. You, know, you, can, you, you can fill in the picture of your own head of, of, uh, of who people are. But that was, that was just common, right? If you don't have a clear um, doctrine, a clear view of what you believe, uh, who you follow, um, you tend to just adopt anything that kind of works for you. Uh, as you start kind of investigating a little further, you find that all of these things that work <laughs> that you feel are working for you are actually working against you. And so in the case of Simon, Peter rebuked him and uh, said, you can't buy the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, the guy was like, oh, please, please forgive me. Um, and so we'll see... Paul respond in, in a similar way. Um, Luke kind of throws in there, you know, but Saul, who was also called Paul, and so this is kind of a significant turning point that from now on, Saul will now be Paul. Um, so we can start referring to him as Paul, who he goes by in all of all of the letters. But Paul would have been his Greek or Roman name, uh, kind of, you know, th- th- that would have been uh, accepted. Saul, more a Jewish name, and we know Saul is... Uh, you know, king of king, the first king of um, Israel, uh, but he goes by Paul, and it says that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. So again, what he says is not coming out of his flesh; is coming directly from the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit impresses upon him, that he kind of calls him three things. He's, he kind of speaks boldly and in the Spirit. He says, first, you are the son of the devil." 
Second, you are full of all deceit and villainy. And third, you make crooked the straight paths of the Lord. These are pretty big, pretty big statements, especially as, you know, the proconsul says, you know, hey, come and share with me. And this guy is with him. This magician is, is with him. So you kind of don't know exactly like uh, where this guy stands. But Paul is bold enough to be like, I don't know who you are, but whatever you're doing, you know, calls him out, you know, right there in the front uh, in front of, of this proconsul. So the first thing he calls him is the son of the devil. What do you think that refers to? So his nature, okay. Yeah, so the son of the devil. Now, um, broadly speaking, everybody that is not of Christ is the son of the devil. You can read in Ephesians 2 where, uh, you know, that um, before, you know, when you were dead in your trespasses, you follow the prince, uh, the power of the air, um, meaning Satan. Uh, Jesus spoke of a parable um, where he talked about the wheat and then the tares or, you know, the weeds that grew up, and so the devil actually like cast out seed, and so they both grew up together uh, in the world. And so Jesus explains to them later what that parable means, and he says those that are the wheat are the sons of the kingdom, and that those that are the tares are the sons of the devil. And so you see that that um, that he kind of calls him out directly and says like, Let, let's if, if we're wondering, I'm I'm speaking about Jesus. I'm here on behalf of Christ, and if you're not with me. You're against me, and you are the son of the devil. And so that's, that's kind of, you know, when you're witnessing, uh, you can, if you're full of the Holy Spirit, and, you, and the Holy Spirit tells you to call someone the son of the devil, then go for it. Um, especially because Paul is speaking to this other person, and this other guy is getting in the way, right? Trying to, um, trying to uh, hinder him from coming to Christ. And so he calls him out clearly and just says, listen, this is who you are. The second one, he says, you're full of all deceit and villainy. Uh, that's what the ESV has. Is, is, uh, any other translations have a different word? Um, what do you Zach? Deceit and fraud. Deceit and fraud. Okay, yeah. The word actually is, you know, this is wickedness. Um, so, again, another bold word. It's just it's kind of interesting, that word villainy, you don't really kind of get too often. So, um, But full of all deceit or fraud or wickedness um, because he understands, you know, what about him? Yeah, like this is your heart, really? And your heart motive is not you know, maybe to, for clarifying or for understanding. And as you share the gospel with people, you know, people throw up, you know, well, what about this? You know, and you answer that question. They say, well, what about this? And you answer that question. And then vi- finally, after answering several questions, or if you've had different witnessing, you know, encounters with people, you kind of understand that no matter how many questions I answer, it's really not about answering your questions and getting your answers satisfied that you'd come to Christ. It's really a heart issue. And if your heart is full of deceit, meaning everyone is, is you know, our heart is, is deceitful, right? Um, not ever true to God, especially, and even after coming to Christ, that our heart still is working out some of those things. We're still influenced by our sin. And so even sometimes when we think our motives are good, we are, have deceived ourselves. But really, you know, we're, we're full of wickedness. Even if we think, you know, well, we just, I just want to understand what you believe, or I just want to kind of like, you know, search and find what is truth. Um, really, you can keep searching, but it comes down to what do you believe about Christ 
or not. Um, and so he kind of calls him out on that. What, you know, where his heart is at. You're a son of, you're a son of Satan, um, which would have spoken to him because he was Jewish. So, you know, it's not like calling a, a Gentile son of Satan. He would have been like, okay. Um, but <clears throat> to them would have spoken to him, would have called him out about his heart. And then he kind of explains, you know, he says, you're making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. And this idea that the straight path of the Lord is that Scripture is clear about who Christ is, it's clear about where everyone stands before God, clear about how you know, we are able to be reconciled to God. But a lot of people want to like twist that and turn that. You know, a lot of the, the uh, letters that Paul writes to these different churches are kind of undoing some of the error, whether it's through worldly influence, whether it's through misunderstandings. And Paul is clarifying, uh, especially when, when certain churches are in sin or just in error, uh, trying to, to make it clear because, you know, it's pretty clear, again, what God desires of us, right? We said, you know, we talked about last week when we talked about the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What's that first, um, you know, point is, is that, uh, you guys remember that? The first point of the Westminster Shorter Catechism is? Chief and a man. And what is chief and a man? The confessions. Yeah, so to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, right? And, and so if you just stopped at that and you're like, okay, that seems pretty clear, pretty simple, but we mess it up, right? <laughs> we mess it up a lot. And so uh, he's saying, you know, I'm clearly kind of, you know, telling the, the proconsul, uh, Sergius Paulus, you know, what he wants to hear, you know, and understand, and this is what you're doing. So you are the son of the devil, you are full of wickedness, and you're taking what's clear and you're making it crooked. Um, you're making, and usually that idea, the straight path of the Lord, that, that typical understanding is not necessarily winding, uh, it's up and down. Um, so usually when they talk about making a path straight, is uh, usually making a path level. Um, and so uh, to clear out the obstacles. And so he's saying what you're doing is actually making it this journey harder and, and adding these obstacles in there. Uh, from what God desires for this man to do. And really what Paul is, is explaining to him is how he can be reconciled to God. Um, and so uh, he says that the, the hand uh, of the Lord is upon him. And so what, is, what does Paul inflict on him? Blindness. Blindness. It's kind of an interesting uh, thing to have inflicted on him. Who else experienced blindness in the book of Acts? Yeah, Paul himself, right? Um, I think in some ways, you know, uh, that Paul sees in this guy a little bit of himself and understands, one, we talked about when Paul was made blind, that when you're made blind, you know, he was blinded by the sun, and then things went dark, but it kind of stopped him in his tracks. And for this guy, blindness would just stop you in your tracks when you have, your sight is taken away, then you have the only thing that you can are, are left to do is to again kind of be inside yourself and, and think about the things that have been pressed upon you. And, and for Paul, Jesus said, "Why are you persecuting me?" And that was him having to come, you know, face to face with a thing that Paul probably would have been like, "Well, I, I don't know. I, I guess I didn't think I was persecuting you, Lord." Um, but now that I'm faced with that reality. 
I need to let that sink in and reconcile myself to that. For Paul, you know, for this guy, it's the same thing. Like, this is where you stand and this is what you're doing. Uh, you know, you are blinded. It also stops him from, from intervening uh, and beco- coming in the way of Paul sharing the gospel uh, with Sergius Paulus. And we don't know, again, what, what, happened, uh, what happens to this magician, to Elymas. Um, but we know that it says that you'll be unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. So he kind of immediately panics and tries to find people that can, can help him out. Um, as a result of this, what happens? Verse 12. It says the proconsul believed. Um, pretty amazing. <laughs> pretty amazing. I, you know... I don't know. It'd be interesting. It'd be interesting if, like, that never happened in, uh, you know, any witnessing encounter where somebody was blinded, and then you're like, "And where do you, what, you know, so what do you think?" <laughs> like, hey, you know, you're you're blinded. You know, any time that somebody, and, and again, that the the thing that Paul says is, is, "The hand of the Lord is upon you," and typically that was a a term of of judgment. Usually, when we see that that term. Um, uh, it was that the hand of the Lord was on uh, the believers in Antioch as they were they were growing and 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 um, in in the Holy Spirit, but that essentially God's power is seen through them. And so what we see here is that the hand of the Lord is is upon you, uh, that people would clearly now see that it's not by Paul's power, but it is by God's power that He has even power over this magician, right? And the magician is the one who's supposed to have. Um, magical powers, uh, which is why, again, Simon wanted to try to buy it, because he's like, I've never seen anything like that. Um, but then also kind of then turns and sobers up everyone as like, wow, that really confer, you know, it really kind of adds a punch to what is being said and what is being proclaimed. Anywhere that we see miracles happen, they're always to confirm um, the message that is being spoken. And so that would have happened in the proconsul, he believes. He's a man of intelligence, which sometimes intelligence gets in the way of people hearing the gospel. Um, but in this case, this intelligence, you know, he hears clearly what Paul is saying. The Lord opens up his heart and that he believes. And when he saw what had occurred, he was, uh, you know, <clears throat> he believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And sometimes, you know, these things, these, uh, either some sort of affliction or tragedy um, causes people to wake up and truly see what God is saying to them, whether it's in their own lives or in the lives of someone else. And we, you know, you typically see that when something big happens, some sort of tragic thing, you know, happens in the news or nation or whatever that affects, you know, something that is, you know, more than just changing the channel, you know, like, oh, okay, that's just, you know, things that normally happen. Um, it gets people to pause and then reflect on, you know, who God is. Uh, because, again, you know, most people adopt a worldview that just kind of satisfies their needs, you know. I mean, you know, and if you start actually probing and asking, like, why you believe that or what is it really you believe, um, sometimes different belief systems, well, most of the time, they come in conflict with one another, and people then are just left. That's what Francis Schaeffer said. You know, when you talk to somebody about their worldview, sometimes the best thing you can do is actually just keep pushing them into their worldview, 
until they, you know, they stand face to face with it. Um, and he said, at the end, you finally have them standing naked uh, before God um, with nothing to really shelter them with. That's kind of what he, his whole thing was that uh, you keep kind of pushing them until really they got nothing to stand under. Um, because, again, you know, usually we adopt views that, again, make our lives a little bit more you know, uh, comfortable. Um, but Jesus Christ never makes our life more comfortable because we have to get out of serving ourselves and serving Him and what he desires. And so, kind of in summary, you know, um, each journey we're going to see that they're on, they're going to face something new. Uh, we have kind of the same thing when, when whatever we face, you know, for them, when they go to Cyprus, you kind of say, it seemed like a success. You know, they had a little bit of adversity, but for the most part, nothing major happened. And even, you know, the person that they talked to, they talked to like one of the highest Roman officials that would have been there, um, that this guy came to the Lord, you know, that's great. You know, on our first mission trip, you know, everything's great, which is good. It's an encouragement to them as they kind of move on to the next place because they definitely are going to hit some uh, adversity as they go along. But the Lord is confirming, yes, this is what I want you to do. And so as the Holy Spirit moves them, uh, it kind of continues to push them along. So I'll read the next two verses and we'll kind of pick up from there. Um, and then see as they, they make their way. So it says in verse 13, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. So that's kind of southern Turkey, that central Turkey right north of Cyprus. Um, and if you have a Bible map, you can kind of look at that and see, see where the journey is. Usually they have uh, some of the maps in the back will have like Paul's journeys. And so this is his first one. Um, And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. So Perga is directly north of Paphos um, on the coast of Turkey. It was a Roman religious center with a temple to Artemis and the temple uh, of uh, Tiki, which was the goddess of luck. Um, The route that they were going to take had population centers of Jews. So this would have been a practical place for them to go. I kind of spoke of uh, that area that they went to. Sergius Paulus had a large estate there, or at least their family had a estate there, that a stone was found and is even in a museum in Turkey today. Um, so it might have been, okay, go this way, and, and that would be a place that you could stop along the way. Um, it wasn't an easy journey. Sometimes uh, some historians kind of question why they took that route, uh, because it would have been a difficult you know, route to take. But we know that the Holy Spirit is leading them there. And uh, it says that John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now Luke just kind of writes that, that he kind of leaves and goes back to Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? You guys remember whose house was there? It was like his house was there, but his, his mom's house uh, was there. That's where Peter went, you know, when he was escaped from prison, so that uh, it was John, John's mother's home. And uh, so he goes back to Jerusalem, likely where he was from and staying. Um, Luke doesn't give any uh, reason for leaving or that there wasn't any issue, but we're actually going to find in Acts chapter 15 that him leaving actually causes some animosity between uh, Paul and Barnabas. We don't see that kind of manifest on the journey, but it will actually come up as a sticking point later on. But all we know is that as they make their way up, perhaps that, you know, as, as you get to, again, like I said, historians say that it was a difficult journey that it would, would have dangers along the way. Um, 
and uh, might talk about that a little bit, but that maybe John Mark got a little frightened and kind of, you know, backed out. Um, we don't really know the reason, but uh, Paul says that he, des- you know, that he deserted them um, and kind of gives the, the idea that he left them without a good reason, um, or at least that Paul's reason. So they went to Antioch in Pisidia, which is a different Antioch, and we'll kind of talk about that a little bit. Later, but kind of setting the stage that they've left from Cyprus and they're making their way up, and we'll kind of pick up from there, like what happens as they kind of hit the next few towns as uh, they go along this journey. Um, so we see kind of the first steps and where they go. So far, a successful outing to Cyprus, at least uh, you know uh, from a missionary standpoint. But really, wherever they go, as long as they're faithful, it would be a success in the Lord's eyes. Um, any questions or, you know, final comments yeah, as we go? Uh, you know, I guess maybe the thought of how God communicated to Paul in the midst of talking with these guys that, oh, by the way, the hand of the Lord is upon you, you're going to be blind. Yeah. You know, that's... Um, I don't know. It's never happened to me. Um, I mean, well, we go with the word, you know. Like yeah. Says, I think we can boldly proclaim like that. But um, I just, you know, you know, when you think of witnessing to somebody like you said, and then there's like an antagonist there that's kind of badgering, you know, to be able to turn to that guy and say that, you know, and then it happened. Yeah. Um, you know, that I just wonder... If Paul had a wow factor after the fact, or just the way Luke wrote it, it just kind of seems to be in almost in passing, you know. But I mean, if you think if you're standing there and and you just did that, and all of a sudden the guy is blind, I mean, it's like whoa, you know. I mean, I can see why the pro council gets you know possesses faith, but still, what would Paul's reaction? Yeah, and I think I imagine you know sometimes like. After the fact of usually certain situations, we either kind of understand whether we spoke by the flesh <laughs> or by the spirit. And I think, I think that probably was like something. And, obviously, you know, and also, as a result of that, this man came to faith that, you know, obviously the, the Lord's hand was upon uh, that situation that he had called Sergius Paulus to come to faith and that it was during, during that. And I think Luke just kind of throws that in there to say that, like, he spoke... You know, there's other times that you'll see, like, um, later on in Acts where Paul is annoyed and he, you know, says something, right? He, he casts out that demon out of uh, the woman, I think, is in Ephesus. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think he's just distinguishing, like, this is actually something that um, resulted in the faith of, of this other man. Certainly, from a witnessing aspect, bolster your boldness, you know. Yeah. And I think Paul needs that, right? He needs that as he's going in, but he needs that because I think, you know, after all the, the things that happened in Jerusalem and him kind of going away to Tarsus, that, that the Lord is encouraging him as he's going away. You still get some of the kind of like, this is his personality. That he is just kind of a bold person. He's a smart, you know, intelligent person. He's able to speak, you know, um, you know against and face people. But uh, I think the Lord is kind of like, again, encouraging him as he goes along. So. Interesting that council was not astonished at the miracle he was astonished at the teaching yeah 
Yeah. And I'm glad, I'm glad you, you mentioned that as well. Yeah. Because most people would be like, did you just see that? But he was like, it, that, that almost just was like, yeah, what you're saying is hitting the nail on the head. And this guy is, you, know, you almost saw him for what Paul had said. You are the son of the devil and all these other things. And so, yeah, uh, it was good to note. So a lot of application there. So um, I'm not sure if we are packing up the chairs.